Hi, and welcome to Occupy Yourself, the podcast that aims to bring awareness of occupational therapy concepts to all the land. Whether you're a seasoned OT practitioner like me, Nicole, an OT student like me, Val, or just a person living the job of life, we're here as your OT practitioner pals to help you optimize your days through intentional occupation. Just a quick disclaimer, this podcast is not designed to replace advice from a licensed OT practitioner. We're a licensed OTR and a future OTR having a chat over a tasty beverage about ways to occupy yourself with intention and live the best life for you. If you have any occupational concerns that warrant professional intervention, please contact your primary care physician and or an OT practitioner. Welcome to episode five, midterm. In this episode, we discuss our occupational histories in relationship to learning and education. I talked about my journey with OT school. And I talked about my journey in the OT profession in various areas of practice. I also started daydreaming about what the podcast might look like in a sad, sad post-Val world. (laughs) All right, here's the episode. Welcome to episode five of Occupy Yourself. I'm Nicole Cipriani, and I'm here with my very special co-host, Valerie Kutarkovsky. Hello. And we are here with just the two of us today. Um, As some of you may know, this is Val's level two field work. Um, She was also with me for her previous level two field work at the school where I work. Um, And because of COVID, she was having a tough time finding a placement. that was accepting students. So we created this kind of role emerging fieldwork situation um, using this podcast of Occupy Yourself, the podcast, um, to both give me some structure around this vision that I've had for years and also to give Val an opportunity to learn about occupational therapy from a more non-traditional lens. Um, she's been a very good sport about it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so, uh, this episode being episode five of our planned nine episodes for this field work is the halfway point of our time together, um, in these roles. And so since we've just completed our kind of official field work, um, midterm evaluation, we've been reflecting on a lot of stuff and we thought this would be a good time to kind of share some of our reflections on this experience, um, in podcast form. So spoiler alert, she's passing the field work. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so we're going to be asking each other questions just around, um, around work and education, mainly using kind of, um, this situation we're in of the field work. Um, but to keep me organized, we've developed some themes. Um, we haven't read the specific questions to each other really yet. So we're going to just kind of be, um, having a conversation about these different areas. So the three themes, uh, the first one is going to be around kind of how we got into OT and what our early influences were. Um, Then we're going to get into just kind of like general work and education um, things that we have for each other. And then we'll end it off by talking about maybe some of our plans for the future. Beautiful. All right. We ready to get it started, Val? I'm ready. Are you ready? I think so. All right. Well, before we get started with the questions, uh, how are you doing today? What are you up to? Not much. We are recording on a Sunday morning. There has been a ton of... What? Oh, Sunday afternoon. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Um, 
Anyway, we're recording on a Sunday afternoon. We had to keep pushing it back because a lot of really loud construction was happening um, in my apartment building. So, Hmm. um, yeah, so I've just been kind of like hanging out this weekend. Yesterday I did a blog post. um, Nice. Really playing around with the, I took the reins on some of the social media this weekend. Um, Yeah, I saw your TikTok. Look at you. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Um, and I am hydrating. I've had all my caffeinated and hot, tasty beverages for the morning. Now I'm just drinking some water. How about you? Nice. Um, well, so yesterday was my mom's birthday and we celebrated that. Um, today I've been working on some fieldwork stuff. So I've been like finalizing the questions that I'm going to ask for you today. Um, working on some of the other stuff and I am not hyped. I guess kind of hydrating i'm drinking some i bought this like pre-packaged starbucks big gallon thing oh and then i really wanted to try this oat milk creamer oat milk hazelnut creamer okay because I'm, I'm trying to do some less dairy in my life all right and yeah it's actually really good yeah so that's what i'm sipping on nice so we asked this question to almost every guest that we have but nicole did you know what OT was before you decided to study OT in college? Actually, fun fact, I kind of for, I mean, forget about it till this moment, but I, you've just reminded me that when I was in high school, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I thought that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to do. Um, so I had applied to colleges and universities for physical therapy and kind of used occupational therapy as like the backup. Uh, So one of the programs I applied to was um, Quinnipiac University, and I really, I liked the program, um, and I I really just kind of like liked the campus, and it was close to home, and geographically Mm -hmm. it was in a good spot. Um, It is a windy day on the Upper East Side, by the way, if you can hear that in the background. And so anyway, I ended up not getting into Quinnipiac's PT program, but I did get into their occupational therapy program. Um, Just kind of one of those happy accidents. And at the time I was, I wasn't, it was more like I knew what PT was. I understood what PT was. I didn't, I had a foggy understanding of OT. Um, I think as I was applying, I was observing PT and OT. Um, And those placements were kind of like orthopedic, hospital-based, outpatient, um, kind of hand and upper extremity therapy situations. Um, Yeah. And yeah, and then so, yeah, I didn't, I remember even at the time, like part of my hesitance around occupational therapy was like, this career doesn't have an intuitive sounding name. Like it literally kind of like that, that part of like not really understanding what it was all about was part of my hesitancy. Um, And the reason it was my second choice versus my first. Right. Well, now you understand like. Now that you're an OT and people from that aren't OTs or don't know what OT is, now you understand their perspective when we tell them we're occupational therapists and they're like, oh, what's that? <laughs> yeah. You help people with jobs? Yeah. Oh, good <laughs> like, for you. you. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, knowing what I know now, I'm really like once I got into OT and once I got into the program and really understood what it was, I remember like... Um, an intro to OT, like, I don't know if it was orientation or whatever, but like Kim Hartman was giving the kind of overview. Um, and when she was talking about what occupation really means kind of in the context of like 
the things you do in your life and talking about like how the occupation of a child is to play and develop skills as they do it. And um, it really spoke to me. And then once I started kind of learning the theory of what OT was and understanding how broad it could be and how you could take it like any direction that right. you might be motivated to take it in, um, I was so glad that I was so glad that my grades weren't good enough to get into the PT yeah. program, you know. <laughs> it all everything yeah. happens for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how about you? What did you think occupational therapy was before you kind of got into it? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I have like a very similar story to you. I applied to every single school PT except for Quinnipiac because Quinnipiac's uh, PT program at the time wasn't accredited for that year. And I was like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not about to go do like six years of school just to not actually be a, right? Right. You, you know, PT yeah. at the end. But they ended up getting their accreditation, whatever. But um, yeah, and OT gave me the most, I mean, Quinnipiac gave me the most money. So <laughs> I ended up going with OT. And again, like you said, it was kind of like a happy accident because... Like I said, the accreditation came through for the PT, but I'm just so happy that I ended up in OT because PT is like, and this might be biased, PT yeah. is like purely re rehab, you know what I mean? But OT is so much more than that. We do rehab, we do mental health, we do everything under the sun. So I'm just like so happy that I picked the field or it picked me rather, I guess. Yeah. Um, that is so you don't broadening. choose the OT life. The OT life it, chooses you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if I ever told you that. No. Sorry, that we have, like, a similar um, introduction. Into yeah, it. that's funny. There's actually, like, I'm not going to lie, a little bit of shame around it. Like, I don't know if it has to do, right, I don't, for me, like, I don't know if it right. has to do with, like, my grades weren't good enough and I was, like, rejected. So this was my second choice. And But I do tell right. that story. I mean, anyway. Uh, no, I mean, I, I understand. I understand. But, like, yeah. listen, it worked out for the best. Absolutely. Right? Um, Wouldn't have it any other way. So then my follow-up question for you is just knowing what I know yeah. about your history. You know, we talk about in episode one with the OT practice framework. We talked about mm -hmm. your history with that car accident that you were in. Right. Um, and you did receive OT and PT. Did you, did that, were you thinking about that experience when you applied to PT school and, like, were you familiar with OT from that experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I did a lot of PT and OT. Um, and I was still 13 years old, like just turned 14 when I was uh, getting all, all that. So I wasn't even thinking about, I was just going into high school. I wasn't even thinking about like what I want to do in the future, what I want to apply for for school. But um, when I was applying to colleges, I always knew in my head that I wanted to be in the medical profession and I wanted to help people um and so obviously my first thought was PT because I had that experience and I still didn't really know what the difference was between PT and OT I just knew that I had a PT and I knew that I had an OT and that my OT mostly helped me with like my upper extremities yeah. and my PT helped me with my lower extremities so yeah that definitely and my whole college essay was about um like, how it changed my life, how it uh, inspired me to want to help people. Um, but, yeah, it definitely played a role. And also, I had to uh, I had to write a supplementary essay for Quinnipiac as to why I wanted to go into the OT program. Mm -hmm. 
and my great grandma um towards like the end of her life she was in a nursing home and she was receiving a lot of OT she didn't get any PT she was bed bound she was getting a lot of like repositioning and um just like leisure activities through her OT and we, my dad and I would go visit her every week and we would sit in on some of those OT sessions and I was like wow this is so cool like to take to take such a like weird time in someone's life and kind of make the most of it yeah and bring things that bring activities that bring that person joy just to make them you know make life easier and make life more fun and exciting for them I that really inspired me as well yeah so, yeah and I would imagine it kind of gave you a little bit of the perspective too of like the the client as a group right the client as a family yeah. um yeah. You know, and what's of meaning to not just that individual, but then like the family and bringing them into the whatever conversations you're having. Yeah, of course, because it was great for her to be able to do like she loved to sew and mm-hmm. she, we did some sewing there. She loved to like play bingo. We played Love lots it. of bingo yeah. there. So it was a uh, it was great for me to see. I mean, obviously, it was great for her right. to be able to do the things that she loves. But it was great for me to see her you know be happy in her like some of her final days you know yeah and I love that nice um so I have another question kind of as it relates to your early influences but like were there any once you were at Quinnipiac were there any subjects that you really kind of got into or um areas that you found interesting as you learned more and more about OT kind of starting with that really kind of basic orthopedic understanding and then mm-hmm. kind of elevating your experience a little bit with um with your grandmother once you hit school was there any further like aha moments that you had about kind of what OT was all about oh yeah absolutely with every class that I took it kind of uncovered a piece of OT that I had no idea about like for example my senior year I took ergonomics and I was like I had no idea an OT would come and into your workplace and just like like shift everything around in order I mean it makes sense now that I know what I know about OT but when I was looking at my course breakdown freshman year like about all the courses that I would have to take over my time I was like administration and management what what yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so those were just some of like the classes that caught me off guard but as I learned more like I loved um development the class development of children and like really getting to know we had to we had to do this project did you have to do the development binder when you were there probably but um so it was basically at well in the class we learned like what reflexes would come at a certain age what skills you should be seeing as the child ages and if they're not then what to do and like what course of action to take and it was really cool getting to deep dive into some of those skills that should be emerging because like now like I use it all the time with my baby cousin like um, she'll she'll call my mom and be like oh he's standing and I'm like oh my god he's only like four months old how is he standing (laughs) standing, (laughs) holding on to the crib but yeah um that was a really cool class um then it took me into sensory and neuro which are my two as you know my two like uh areas of interest right now so yeah, it definitely exposed me to a lot of, um, like, areas of OT that I really had no idea about. And yeah. one interesting thing was, I forget what class it was in, but we had, like, a week 
where um, an OT that works in a NICU came mm-hmm. in. And for that week, I was like, I'm going to be a NICU OT. <laughs> this is it. This is my calling. <laughs> I get to position little uh, preemies all day, yeah. like, make sure they're nice and cozy. But, yeah. Nice. Um, I know at Quinnipiac, our professors tell us that almost everyone comes into school thinking they're going to be a pediatric OT. And then by the end of the five years or however many years it was, um, the path has completely changed. So can you, when you came into Quinnipiac, did you know what kind of OT you want to be? Did we ever talk about this? I think we did. Okay. But you can tell us for the I sake will of the t- I will tell. I'm just curious if I've talked <laughs> to you about this. I did not think I wanted to be a pediatric OT. I was... I had been a babysitter through like high school and like summers I nannied for a family. And I, so I liked kids, like I had fun Mm -hmm. with them, working with them and um, caring for them. But I did not think I had the energy to be a pediatric occupational therapist. So I spent a lot of my time thinking I would go into like orthopedics, um, doing hand and upper extremity therapy. And, like, part of this is my own, I think as far as, like, energy levels, part of it is definitely I had ADHD and did not know I had ADHD and was having all sorts of challenges with, like, going into hyper-focus for, like, novel projects. And, like, I remember, I don't think I still have it, but I definitely, like, at one point did like an artistic interpretation with chalk pastels about like modulation, sensory modulation and hypersensitivity and like all of like, and like, you know, an abstract representation of what that might feel like, but then like would have no energy to do like just the basic tasks of like whatever I, you know, what you need to do. Exactly. Right. So, um, so I had a lot of trouble with just my own personal energy levels at that time. And I thought if I worked in pediatrics, I wouldn't be able to keep up with the kids. I would be too tired. Blah, blah, blah. That's kind of what I thought. Um, and I really liked making splints. And I had done a lot of orthopedic observations. So that was kind of just like it felt comfortable to me. That was another thing. Yeah, to, right. That's another feature that of my ADHD, zone. like my comfort zone, like staying within my comfort zone because this is more predictable. And my second field work was supposed to be um, in San Diego. It was supposed to be at a skilled nursing facility. And I'm traveling out to San Diego. I'm leaving in two weeks. I just walked with my class. And the two academic field work coordinators, like, found me. And they were like, come see us after you walk. We have some news. They were like, don't worry. It's not bad. And I was like, mm. <laughs> So anyway, that was when oh, they told me that the bad. skilled nursing facility was closing down. They ended up finding... Um, a woman who had a pediatric clinic, a sensory clinic in San Diego in like she they circuitously found her through like all these relationships. And so long story short, my placement mm-hmm. ended up being working with her. Um, she had a sensory clinic in the house next door to her house that like she had kind of developed on her own. Um, cool. I worked with her two and a half days a week in that clinic space. And then the other two and a half days a week, I was helping her um, in a role she had of consulting with the Jewish Community Center in La Jolla. They had a Mm -hmm. fully inclusive um, preschool, uh, preschool, 
they had a fully inclusive preschool, but also an inclusive summer camp program. So two days a week, I was a one-to-one for a boy with ataxic cerebral palsy. And Mm -hmm. that other half day, I was consulting at the preschool to help her develop a motor, sensory motor kind of screening tool to work with them. Um, So I remember reflecting, one, that like she gave me this transformative adaptive response, and two, that... um, at the beginning of it, I didn't think I would have an, the energy. I told you I'd get back to it, but I didn't think I would have the energy to work with kids. And what I did find was that, like, in building those relationships with kids, mm-hmm. you, when you're in the moment and when you're engaged with the child and working towards what's meaningful to them, that you that that doesn't drain your energy when you're working in right. that way. And my my final rotation was um, it was like a mix of uh, adult orthopedics is a hospital-based rotation outpatient. So there was adult orthopedics, kind of hand therapy, but they also did take pediatric clients with like developmental um, disabilities. So I was able to take my pediatrics knowledge and in some cases, in some of the more sensory-based areas through my field work in San Diego, I had more knowledge than some of my supervisors and was able to like collaborate with them on things like very, you know, it wasn't, I didn't come in like the genius, but like just these little moments of like, I've never heard of this program. Have you? And I was like, yes, I actually have heard of that. And here's the theory behind it. And like, let me share with you what I learned. And like, just those little moments of like, obviously I'm still learning, but like those little moments of like allowing that confidence to build really helped it out. And yeah. And so my first job was in, orthopedics at a hand clinic but I was able to take those experiences of having worked in San Diego with that thorough very intense pediatric rotation and then even how this is how you can take a pediatric program and build it for like a more community-based hospital situation and that was when I built the pediatrics program at the hospital where I started out Um, and then like it went, I was kind of like, I was kind of like half and half, like couldn't really make a decision. I like working with the adults because I love meeting new people and like learning about how they occupy themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And like how that might, um, whatever. But anyway, it turned into like full-time pediatrics very quickly. Going based off that. So obviously you work at a school, so you're a school-based OT. Can you tell us a little bit about what a school-based OT does and how that may be different from an OT working in a different pediatric population, like a sensory clinic? Sure. Um, so really quick, like, explanation of what a sensory clinic is. A sensory clinic is a, a clinic, usually an outpatient clinic, that um, helps kids and families who experience sensory processing issues. So sometimes um, common diagnoses that we see would be autism spectrum disorder, um, ADHD, sensory processing disorders. Um, Sometimes there's just like uh, developmental delay. You might see kids um, with Down syndrome or other kind of um, developmental um, diagnoses. The general theme of a sensory clinic is that you're working on primarily the occupation of play um, and you are infusing multi-sensory experiences using like all eight of the sensory systems. Um, So do we go into the eight sensory systems real quick? There's the the five that you know and then the vestibular sense which is your sense of head position and movement. So there's a lot of swings, slides, scooter board ramps, um, climbing, that kind of stuff. 
um, proprioceptive and kinesthetic, which is like your your understanding of your joints and muscles, what position they're in and how they're moving. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, so again, like a lot of climbing, a lot of opportunities for like deep pressure, heavy work. There's a lot of obstacle courses. Um, right. Yep. Moving your body. And then, um, and then interoception, which is the way that you receive information from your organs, um, your organs and like inside your body. So it might include kind of sensations of, um, hunger and fullness whether or not you need to go to the bathroom it might also include like the sensations that we feel in our bodies when we experience emotions um Mm -hmm. and so you're you're working with these kids who have um challenges potentially processing sensory information usually also challenges with the output of that which is motor coordination so kind of like that's the those are the first two things you're usually looking at um, and how that impacts, you know, play, how that impacts self-regulation, helping kids and families understand what kind of sensory information impacts your activity level in what kind of way Um, and working towards meeting family goals. So usually in like a sensory clinic, you've got an evaluation where you're doing some kind of standardized motor testing to see like what's the, you know, because you're, like the funding sources, insurance companies usually, or private pay, but you do some kind right. of assessment to take a peek at like, what are what are their scores on standardized tests as far as motor? Um, you might be doing like parent checklists to determine what's going on from a sensory processing perspective and why are we seeing the things we're seeing. Um, Caregivers will come in with some kind of like goal in mind or a challenge that they're seeing. Sometimes they understand what occupational therapy is. Sometimes they don't. So like Mm -hmm. you're doing caregiver education around like what your role is, what you're looking at, maybe what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe some theories about like, why are you seeing, why you might be seeing these certain like behavioral patterns in your kids. (laughs) So windy. (laughs) We're getting a sense of how auditorily distractible I am, too, because every time that happens, I'm going to lose my train. Um, so, yeah, so you're doing a lot of caregiver education. Um, depending on where you, the facility you're working at, the caregiver might stay and watch the session, and you're doing, like, education as you're doing the activities with the kids. Caregiver might wait in the waiting room, so you're really engaging more one-on-one with your client and then, like, reporting back to the caregiver after you complete your session um so it's a lot of just like what does the kid want to do in that moment working with them collaboratively to come up with some kind of activity and then you're as the child like goes through that activity you're tailoring it you're doing what we call grading it up and down to make it either more easy or more challenging but you're always setting it up so that they can come to that what we call the adaptive response where they can like meet that challenge they can meet their goal um, and then in the meantime, like I said, you're, you might be educating the kid about like, oh, yeah, it looks like, wow, it looks like you're really able to focus after we climb on the, after we do some stuff on the climbing wall for a little bit. Probably, you know, depending on how old they are, like that gives your muscles a lot of information so that you can like sit down and focus on this handwriting when all is, you know, when we're at the end of the session or whatever. Um, and then teaching the parent about, how you know sensory processing and motor development and maybe like some ways that they can change their routines at home or things that they can pepper in we might talk about what's called a sensory diet which is like um structuring your day in a certain way so that you know if certain 
things are relaxing to you if you get overstimulated, like maybe put those types of activities into your day proactively so that you feel good and don't get to the point where you feel overstimulated. Um, so anyway, so those are the those are the things we might we might do. And then in a school, so where I am right now, I'm in like a um, it's a therapeutic school. Mm-hmm. Our students have um, learning differences, emotional challenges, um, speech and language challenges. Um, and really in a school, what you're doing is you're, you're working, you know, with the child, you're developing what's called an IEP or an individualized education plan. Um, I can't right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that like we canceled this because there was like drilling going on and then we rescheduled it for like a day when you're going to get, you're going to get a different auditory (laughs) distraction. Um, and so anyway, so, uh, you're working with a child on helping them access the education. So for some kids, that very much is they are very auditorily distractible. And so you're right. teaching, you might be doing like in-services with the, instead of the education that you're doing for the most part, although I do give like parent workshops from time to time, um, the education that you're doing for the most part is with the staff that works at the school. So it might be other members of the team. It might be talking to the teachers and teaching assistants. Um neurologically what's happening in this student's brain when he hears a sound even though it's not a novel sound and he should be expected to like be able to gate it out or to know that that's not important because we you know the rest of us and this does not include me with our neurotypical um, (laughs) neurotypical brains are able to gate that out or ignore it and know that like footsteps in the Mm -hmm. hall are not something I need to pay attention to but in the child with sensory processing differences literally what's happening is every single time they hear that noise their brain is treating it like a novel thing that they have to orient to and make an assessment about and that's literally going to pull their neurological attention away from the task so telling the kid focus 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 isn't going to help it's not gonna right yeah so like those are you know thank you wind for giving us that example but right (laughs) (laughs) um anyway so so yeah so you're working more like with the teachers and your your goal is a little bit more focused whereas in a sensory clinic you're just kind of working on like whatever the parents coming with that's impacting them as a family or whatever the child is coming with that's impacting them you're being tasked to focus on that occupation of education Um, And not to say that you can't be like I ask for input from families during parent teacher conferences all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk to kids about what are you you know, how's your project coming along? Are you having difficulty um, with anything you need to do for that? I do a lot of education at the beginning of the year, especially and you were with me and we did this about what does an OT do? What can we help you with? Like these are the things we can help you with. Right. So that they're aware. Yeah. Right. And so like as things come up, if they're having a challenge that they may kind of start masking or not realizing this is something I can ask Nicole about. um, We want to make sure that like those those lines of communication are open so that I can be a resource for them. Um, And so I do it because it's, again, middle school age. So they're old enough to start like understanding more about themselves and their learning disability or whatever their challenges are now I'm in the role of kind of making myself a resource for them so that I can collaborate with them and help them do the things they want to do. Um, yeah. And do you think it, 
sorry, do you think it would be fair to say that you can kind of infuse some of those sensory aspects that you were talking about into being a school-based OT in order to help them participate in school? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that school OTs that work, and sometimes it depends on like, there's definitely barriers to this if you're working like in the larger school system. Certain different therapists have different views on this. Different school systems have different views on this. But in my experience working at my school, with the Mm -hmm. younger kids especially a lot, you are using sensory strategies throughout the day to help kids maintain that kind of like optimal state of arousal for learning, right? So that Right. The stuff that they need to learn, they're able to learn. Um, they're awake enough or they're like calm enough, depending on um, what's, yeah, yeah, what their kind of modulation picture looks like. Um, and then with, so like some kids, it might be like working with the teacher assistant or the teacher to schedule like movement breaks and like figure out like we're going to use this type of sensory information because we have seen this to be effective with this child and we're going to take a movement break like a certain number of times a day or like right before this class or whatever it is so that they're available for for learning um and then with the older students it's a lot of like making sure they know that they can talk to you about their sensory experience and like giving the students themselves tips for working on it and this i think was like super magnified when we went remote you know, through COVID because now it's just, you've got them on the screen. So it's not like I'm in your off, you're in my office and I'm like, okay, like you look like you need to move. Should we do a movement break? Like now it's more like you're just talking to them about it and you're helping them reflect on what they kind of need for themselves um, in those sensory areas as they come up. So, so for you, I guess kind of sticking with, um, you know, the the last fieldwork experience we had in that population working in the school, what were some things working with the middle school population that that you found to be really interesting as it relates to that kind of remote work? Um, well, going into it, I was nervous for two reasons. Yeah. One, middle, middle schoolers are scary sometimes. <laughs> middle and... schoolers, this is not the first time we've, like, <laughs> had this, like, <laughs> negative thought about middle schoolers. About middle schoolers, yeah. Sorry there's sorry a, to the, all the middle there's schoolers There's a lot going there on in middle school. Been. It's a complicated yeah. time. And, like... Listen, I yeah. I was not the nicest when I was in yeah, middle school either. Yeah. It's okay. Um, And so there was that aspect. And there was also the fact that, like... I know what the role, like, I had an idea of what a school-based OT would look like in person, but now that it would be fully remote, that whole aspect made me a little nervous, Mm -hmm. because, I don't know, I I read into people's, like, body language a lot, and so now when it's just face-to-face, it's a little difficult to tell exactly how the student is doing and, like, whether they're actually enjoying the activity that you have in front of them and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. um... But yeah, but when I really got into it, it was really cool to get to know the kids and it was um, definitely a challenge to adjust some of the things that you may have been doing in person and transfer that online and try to maybe find substitutes that would target the same skills um, through games online or like activities. Um, I don't know, but through it, I feel like I kind of gained a sense of like confidence in myself that I can adapt to a a situation if needed 
Like, how did you, what were your strategies that you used to like work through that or to meet that challenge? Or like what was helpful to you in your learning to get you from the point of like being nervous and unsure how that was going to go to the point of like feeling I kind of confident this. in yeah. your skills? Um, well, at first I would say that it was like a lot of observation of you for my po- point. Um, just like it kind of gave me a sense of like how who each kid is as well because mm-hmm. of the way you would like mold yourself to each treatment you yeah. know what i mean so that so gave actually me a sense of what so to ex- so why don't we go in, how did i mold myself into each treatment or, or are we gonna go student by student no we don't have to go student <laughs> by student but like um like for the more challenging kids you would take more of a like a i don't even know how to describe it like a okay, you do what you need to do. I'm going to be right here. We're here for OT. So if you want to play along, go for it. If not, then you're wasting your own time kind of approach, you know? But for the kids that actually wanted to be there and actually were, like, excited about going to OT, you can can just tell the difference, you know, between one session and the next. And, yeah. I think also, like, there's... Some like when kids want to be there, you can you can like I can get really excited with them yeah. and like yeah and like kind of like nerd out and like that OT spiciness that we talk about like that yeah, yeah, that yeah. comes out and like my I get more animated and that's not to mm-hmm. say though like it's not that I'm I don't have that for those kids who aren't interested but you but if you if you give that like animated like excited like right. vibe with a kid who just does not want to be there or with a kid who or with a kid who like if you're going back to like neurological stuff like has auditory issues and you're just talking at them mm-hmm. like super excited like this like that hurts their yeah. ears and that hurts their brain right and so it's not to say like okay I'll be here like it's not to be like no, dismissive no, no. of those kids but it's, right, and right, I know you think course. this, I'm just like, I want to, I want to put Clarify. the nuance on it for the listeners. Yeah. Like that it's, cause I know, you know, but it's like, you just have to, you have to meet the child where they are. And so how can I be supportive in this? The way that I can be supportive is like you, you kind of like do what you think is the right thing to do. And then as you do that, I'm just watching you and figuring out how am I going to use this information to like govern next next time? Because maybe it's that like I chose an activity that was not the right activity. And because we're so limited in remote with like the types, it's not like I have a whole closet full of activities that they can look to for inspiration. Like that's harder to develop remotely. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's sometimes it's it's more just like waiting and watching and like, all right, if this is yeah. like how you're going to use your time, this is how you're going to use your time. But you can bet that like, I'm going to be taking this information to offer you something next time and to try to get there and to build that rapport in like, I'm here, I'm here for you and I'm here to support you. Like, and then like being really patient with that and not taking offense at like those tonal changes that happen when like right. a kid is yeah. reaming you out or screaming at you and you're like it's not like i know this isn't me i'm not doing anything yeah, wrong you can't take it personally right yeah if i let my stress enter this situation that's not going to help anyone like, <laughs> yeah. here um so anyway um yeah. yep yeah but i found us uh when in our last field work um i found us doing that a lot like trying to gear the activities towards being something that they would enjoy doing but also something that would work on their goals right and 
if we get into a session and it seems like the kid's not into it or they verbally say, like, I don't want to play this game. Right. We're like, we write that down. We document it. And we're like, all right, what can we do next time? Or, like, even take some advice from the kid. Like, okay, what would you want to work on, you know? So everything is kind of tailored to them to make sure that they're meeting their goals but also enjoying themselves. And it's not, like, torture to come to OT, you know? Right, right. It's also just going back to the school role. It's a lot of collaboration with the team. So collaborating with the other members of the clinical team, um, collaborating with the teachers, figuring out, like, what does the classroom participation look like? How can I help? Like, what kinds of things can I do to – what are you seeing that, like, you think I might be able to help with? And a lot of kind of, like, talking to the team about the things I enjoy doing or that the, the options they – like, the menu, like <laughs> – how, how are right. their notebooks looking? Do you need me to work on some organization? How are, you know, um, so people kind of learn the things you can help with so that they know to ask, kind of in the same way that we do with the kids. Yeah. Um, so moving on from that, like, but still kind of in our, like, work and education role, talking about, like, the podcast and, like, transitioning into this kind of more role-emerging field work situation. Um what do you like what are your learning objectives from this field work what like what do you hope to kind of gain from this experience um you know as you interview ot's and ot adjacent individuals i mean it's definitely unlike any other field work i've ever been in myself or even heard of anyone else same <laughs> yeah so it's been it's been like both fun and like a little nerve-wracking at the mm-hmm. same time like we're both me and you are both doing something that we've never done before and we're trying to like get it up and started and getting all these guests to interview and like every week it's like we have the same routine to like edit and put, put it out you know um but I think even from the beginning my main objective was to find a way to learn more about OT while also teaching other people about OT and kind of like taking a deep dive into some of the things I learned in school or some of the things I just generally know about OT through like the guests and our conversations and the research that I'm doing in preparation and it's all kind of like coming together to reinforce everything that I've learned in school and like putting it in a in a format that we can distribute to everyone you know whether they're ot's whether they're i don't know have no idea what ot is like to kind of make the information that i learned more accessible yeah to everyone else do you feel like that's happening like do you feel like you're making those connections and you're like learning about different areas more in depth um yeah absolutely i think i haven't done like this in depth of research since i was in school and like doing papers and stuff so I really like make sure that I know what I'm talking I can't just sit down at a podcast and just have no idea what I'm talking about you know so there is a lot of research that goes into it and I feel like I'm in a way I'm kind of studying and we'll get into like how I'm gonna start studying for my test soon but I feel like I'm beginning to study already yeah you know and kind of refreshing maybe not as in depth as I need to be for my uh, exam but it's giving me that like it's bringing back those memories of when I learned it in school and kind of like bringing you back to the forefront so that it's like readily available. And putting it in that like practical context, like 
you know, that's what's so one of the things that's so helpful about like the fieldwork experience is that you're learning how to, you know, you're taking the stuff that you've learned in school, but then you're putting it like you're putting it to practice. So you're learning it more in right, depth. Applying it. Um, and this is different because you're like talking about it. You're not like necessarily doing things, but you are listening to these conversations over and over and over again as you edit <laughs> and you're editing the transcripts and you're you know reflecting on it and so I think that aspect of it you have a more active mm -hmm. role in it than you would if you were just in school learning it and researching it um, I would hope kind of deepens that understanding for you oh yeah absolutely what do they say that you need to hear something like six times before it stores in your brain is that what they say I, I don't know what the exact You'll have to do the research on the that. Exactly. Yeah, I'll have to do the research. <laughs> we'll include but, uh, it in the outro. <laughs> <laughs> With the amount of times I listen to each episode, I can, you know, yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I'm well-versed yeah. in all the topics that all we're talking the about. Um, what you see as kind of like your most valuable routine. So it could be leisure, could be something else. But like, what have you learned about yourself as far as your occupational profile, um, your kind of learning style, your preferences as a person, um, anything like over, whether it was over the last field work or this one, or just like over the last six months, basically that you've really kind of like learned about yourself. I feel like I learned a lot of things about myself. I, I feel like I definitely knew this already, but I guess I never really did anything about it in college because, like, I always lived with roommates and my friends were always around and I never wanted to miss out on anything, whatever. But I am definitely someone that needs, like, complete and utter silence <laughs> while I am sitting at a desk with, like, bright lights everywhere, my notes on the side, my laptop on there in order to study and get things done. Well, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing kind of like a, an activity that doesn't require a lot of focus, I can probably, I still can't be around people because I'll just get distracted and not do anything I'm supposed to do. But um, I can be like chilling in my mm -hmm. bed with maybe some music playing or something right. like that. Um, so I learned that about myself mm -hmm. that I'm very easily distractible. Um, what else did I learn about myself? Probably why we got to get out on so many tangents when we talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love to talk. So <laughs> another thing I learned yeah. about myself. Um, I'm trying to think. That's a good question. Any routines, like going back to routines, like things, like we were talking mm. with Shannon last week about like the structures that she yeah. has in her day that like keep her organized so that she can manage the chaos, right? Which like this whole field work again like you said we're both learning this i wouldn't say it's chaos at this point but like there's yeah, there's a bit of a chaotic control. energy at times like i mean yeah, yeah we're still yeah. so new we just started right you know? um yeah but in terms of routines i i'd say i have more or less the same structure i am gonna have to switch it around next week and that'll be interesting yeah. to navigate because I'm going to be starting to study for my exam, mm. for my board certification exam. Um, but as of right now, like, we kind of have a set routine mm -hmm. every week about what we expect to be done by a certain time. And so, like, Fridays we record and then by Sunday I listen to it and make my notes. Monday and Tuesday I'm editing. Wednesday it's done. And I'm working on the transcript. I'm doing the research for the next... Um, 
yes so yeah everything is like very much so structured and i am a person that very much so also values their leisure time Mm -hmm. and like their off time like yeah i'm a hard worker i'll get everything Mm -hmm. i need to get done but i even if it means that i have to stay up until three in the morning in order to get like my leisure fix Mm -hmm. that's what i'm doing because i'm i don't know why that's just the because that's organizing yeah no it's it's yeah valuable occupation right yeah um um but yeah like i said next week i'm gonna have to like figure some things out because i have all the fieldwork stuff somehow make time for some leisure activities Mm -hmm. and also be studying for a few hours a day so so now you're juggling your full-time job as a school-based ot with this field work as being co-hosts of this podcast um so i know you're working all day and then coming home and working with me and like doing some work on the podcast uh there's always so much work that you're putting into how do you cope with having so much like things on your plate you know like do you work are you someone that works well under pressure or like tell me a little bit about how that well sometimes i do i do tend to procrastinate so like yes i i wouldn't say i work well under pressure because it's certainly not comfortable but Mm -hmm. i i do like having deadlines and structure is good i've kind of like I think this is part of why it took me so long to get diagnosis because I always like people will say like, oh, you're so organized, but it's like I'm not organized. Like Val has to go through like ev- like I have to like write it down so that I don't forget because I know I will lose it and become scattered if I don't write it down. So it's mm-hmm. not because I'm naturally organized. It's because I know that I need that in order to be successful. Right. Um. So like and again, because this is so new, I'm still figuring out like. What's my organizational structure for this? Okay, like we were, Val and I were just talking about how, you know, I really want her to be like really reflecting and like really take advantage of these last like four or five weeks of the placement. Um, And like, I was like, where am I going to write? We should, we should come up with our topics so that like there's structure, but like, where should we write this down? Like, should we write it on this table? Should we write it in the calendar? Should we like, what are the actual, (laughs) so like that piece is definitely disorienting. But I feel like we're, it might be in a different place every week, but like... Mm-hmm. that it's, it's starting okay. to settle and I'm starting to feel good about where we are. Um, as far as like the, our, um, our like procedure for things. Um, right. As far as like how I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm definitely like doing a lot of the, like burning the candle at both ends. And like Val has been super flexible with like, there, like there are just days where I'm like wiped and can't meet and like, and we reschedule things right. and it kind of works yeah. out. Um, I've been flexible and flexible adaptable. and adaptable. What I've come to <laughs> is one, just like monitoring myself and knowing myself because the way that I tend to cycle, it, I get really invested in a project. I put all this energy in cause I'm super motivated. And with this particular project, like I said before, like my hyper fixation is occupational therapy. So like, that's why right. this is happening. Um, and, but I have to know that I, I do know that when I get into that mode and I get really hyper fixated, there is a propensity for me to just completely crash. Um, if like something happens where like it's unexpected at the end of it or, you know, whatever. And I, and I have had some moments, like I had a really emotional weekend, two weekends last weekend. Um, but it's a good challenge. So, yeah. All right. 
So shall we talk about your plan for kind of, you know, now that you're getting close to the end, there's what, four more weeks left of this placement. Um, you know, I, we just sat down and talked about your final project and, and what you're going to be, um, doing with that. But we were also talking about studying for the exam. Um, so I guess maybe let's start with like, you know, talking about plans for the future, but like very near future for the next four weeks from now until the end of the field work. Like, what are your objectives? Well, firstly, my objective would be to find some kind of like occupational balance between like I like I just said a few minutes ago, like the balance between doing everything I need to do for this field work for the last four weeks for like the remaining four weeks and also having the time to study, but also leaving time for, you know, every other occupation there is, you know, like spending time with my family, like some leisure activities, like stuff like that. So I think that is going to be my biggest challenge. And like once this field work is over, obviously all I have is time, right. you know, to study. Do you so have a time for frame for weeks, taking the exam? Um, I want to study for two months and okay. then take it just to be safe. Two months starting now um, or two months starting when you finish? Two months starting when I start studying. So okay. now, All yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I still, we're having a meeting with the school sometime in like a few weeks, two weeks okay. maybe, to talk about like the next steps about how to sign up because I have no idea how I would even sign up right yeah. now. But um, yeah, I think that's going to be my biggest challenge. That's what I'm most nervous for. Um, I'm also obviously nervous that I like didn't retain all of the information that I thought I did from <laughs> school. Um, but we'll find yeah. out when I take my first my first baseline yeah. test to see how um, how I'm doing. Uh, definitely, we'll update on that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things we talked about when we were planning for the final was like so. Um, I guess, do you want to talk about, in broad strokes, the final project, what that's going to look like, and then also your study plan and, like, how the two might inform each other? Yeah. In terms of the final project, like I said earlier, I'm most interested in neuro and sensory. So the little project I have going for me is finding two individuals that are OTs one working in neuro, one working in sensory, and have conduct my own individual interviews with them separately. Um, make up, do all the research, make up all the questions, outline all the themes and stuff like that, um, and then conduct the interview, and then kind of find the ba the differences and the similarities and how they kind of can mesh with each other or how. A perspective from a new grad student that just came out of Quinnipiac is now in sensory like how that has changed her thinking or yeah like different things like that and all the, these interviews will be cut into clips and put into the final project where we'll be talking about what I've learned over this whole fieldwork process and all that kind of fun stuff did I leave anything out? No, that's explained it well. That's good. The only thing is then how, so how might that inform your studying that's happening at the same time? Oh, um, I think because 
because there's only four weeks left and I have like two months of studying to do, I think I'll be spending a lot of these four weeks freshening up on my neuro and sensory so I don't kind of have to like double dip when I'm studying. Like I can get that out of the way now, like know everything I need to know while also having that information fresh in my head in preparation for these interviews. And then I kind of got sensory and neuro out of the way and can focus on everything else for the following. Yeah. And then really using those interviews to like continue to deepen your understanding of those, um, yeah. those topics. Nice. Yeah. And hopefully when I'm taking my test, a question will come up and be like, Oh my, oh God, my God, this reminds me of my conversation this. with so-and-so yeah, that I listened yeah, to five that's... times as I was trying to find yeah. the best quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as studying, like, I know you talked about how you're, you know, easily distractible and all of, and all of that. Like, do you mm-hmm. have a, a plan for that and how? Um, yeah, I kind of, in college, I kind of established like some f- structure for myself when I'm studying. Like I had a, always had a desk in my room. Now I do not have a desk, so I'm going to have to figure something out. I'll probably put a desk in the basement mm-hmm. or something so I can have my peace and quiet. But I I just bought these noise-canceling AirPods. Nice. And I love to put headphones in and very lightly play, like, either classical music or lo-fi mm-hmm. beats. And they kind of get me in the mood lo-fi to... Lo-fi beats. But very low yeah, yeah. because if I... Yeah. yeah. But if I... Because if I hear the music, I'll, I'll just, yeah. you know, get into yeah. it and not really be studying, but... Yeah, so definitely music um, to kind of block out the background noise. I, my, the way I usually study, I think I talked about this maybe in a previous episode. I would write down all of my, I would have my notes uh, near me and write them out by hand and then just go over it over and over in my head, read it over and uh, study more what I don't know. And that's always kind of worked for me. I've always gotten pretty lucky with like, testing and stuff like that um but i i have been doing a lot of research through like facebook forums about other Mm -hmm. ot students that are about to take their tests and that is not at all (laughs) what they have been doing um they for the most part they just um they buy a lot of text not textbooks but like review books that have anything that you could ever learn in ot school and then they also buy programs online where you can take a bunch of practice tests and stuff like that. And that's, for the most part, how they study. They take a bunch of practice tests, see the rationales for why they got the questions wrong, and go back, look at it over again, take more practice tests. And so it's going to be kind of an adjustment because I've never really had to study like that. I mean, I well, guess no one's saying you SAT, have to study but... like that now. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But I mean... If it worked for everyone, I'm not going uh, to. But you're not everyone, right? I mean, maybe. I mean, That's true. I guess. I guess there's a way to like test it out to see, you know, if it's yeah. something that yeah, like resonates true. with you before like going all in on like this is my new strategy because it's working for everyone in this right. Facebook group, you know, I. But you see what makes. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. But what makes me nervous is that like. Because the textbook that I'm mm-hmm. getting, that it's it's going to be here sometime this week, it's 800-something right. pages of everything you've ever learned. And I am scared that I'm going to spend too much time harping on, like, getting all this information handwritten into my notebook right. so that I have that 
like manual writing to be stored Mm -hmm. in my brain that's what i'm nervous about like spending too much time on that rather than so let's co-op test taking okay where would you (laughs) where would you start where would i start like what well the how would you figure out all right let me rephrase how would you mm-hmm. figure out, how would you assess, like, where your energy might be better spent? See, I I feel like I will know once I take the first test, like, baseline test, that'll tell me where, like, how much material I need to catch up on. And if it's a lot of material, maybe I'll just go through the whole book. And if it's not, then maybe I'll just yeah. keep taking tests and reviewing. All right, Nicole. So my question for you is, what are your short-term and long-term goals for yourself? Mm. I really just want to continue exploring the big picture of occupation, more short-term, within the lens of kind of where I am now in my roles of like caregiver for myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and like working with middle schoolers with like executive functioning challenges and learning disabilities and all of this Um, because I am a grown up with learning disabilities. So like just exploring that and like just continuing to make those little connections. Like you and I always talk about like connect, integrate, expand, Mm -hmm. right? That that's our like mantra. So like, where can I make that's kind of like, the connections. Yeah, my goal is to like start making right. those connections, and then that integration piece and the expansion piece is like through like the writing and the podcast and like. So yeah, so my short term goals are basically like the things that I can do in my life to support whatever that bigger body of work is, and what can I do now day to day to like keep myself organized and to keep myself like mentally well, and you know to, to be a good therapist for my clients and blah right. blah blah um so again they're kind of like they go back and forth but like again it's I you know my goal is to bring occupation to all the land that's literally my goal um and so you know we talked at the beginning about how like occupational therapy is so like unintuitively named that like people are actually just like even uncomfortable talking about it because like the word doesn't make sense to people and I want to get through that how can I bring occupational therapy like to this world of like working with Mm -hmm. maybe not with kids who are like five years old you know little boys with hyperactivity because they have ADHD and helping them like helping their parents help them be able to sit at the dinner table like because those are things those are very important things for families but like it almost feels like OTs the use of OT kind of ends once they get out of that like sensory clinic a sensory clinic will help you place and I think that there are still there are areas there are opportunities for OT to help these clients gain quality of life further down the lifespan and I'm doing that I've been doing that for myself for my entire life and so reflecting on that to bring like to I don't know I don't know what's going to come out of it is it going to be protocol Mm -hmm. is it going to be whatever I don't know I don't know what it's going to be but but I think there's a role for that and so like that's kind of my other goal is just like really explore um where that can be because that's kind of like a bridge between 
mental health OT, right? And and like executive functioning sensory motor OT. It which like right, yeah. I think there are definitely like some bridges between the two and some frameworks that exist in both areas. And it's, it's an area that's been Mm -hmm. bridged, but maybe never with like, you know, the neuro, a neurodiverse population. um, Right. To this extent. And so, and I think there's need for that in this world. And I don't know what my end goal is. Um, And again, I think, a lot of it feels like it has to do with getting it out there and writing it. Um, so that is another short-term goal is like working that into my routine. So as far as the ways that I, I'm planning on putting that into my routine is like once you, right now we're doing the podcast weekly, the podcast like take a lot of like time and like setting up and production and editing and all that stuff. So what I'm thinking is once you're through, I may go down to like every other week or once a month with the podcasts but continue to focus on the blog and continue to focus on that writing and like really practicing that and bringing that out. And I don't know, maybe, maybe then it's just podcasts of me talking to myself about this stuff. <laughs> what was that? I'd listen. For an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad idea. Maybe I only have guests once a month and the rest is just me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Going I mean, what on. better way to self-reflect and to like get everything out right. there, right? Yeah. That feels so like self absorbed but but it's part of the right but it's part of the experience right so anyway so my question to you we've -hmm. talked a little bit about your short-term goals already but my question to you is literally Mm -hmm. like where you see where where do you see yourself in five years i remember they made us do Mm -hmm. like a five-year plan when we around the time we graduated um yes they did so and so Um, when did you do that because is it the same now as it was when you did that assignment I think we did it freshman year, honestly. Mm. Oh, and wow. I think, yeah, I think it was freshman year. We did definitely did it early on because Kim Hartman gave us our, the pieces of paper that we wrote on our five-year plan. She gave it back to us our grad year. Um, yeah, it was kind of cute. But I think at the time when I wrote it, I still didn't really know what right. OT fully yeah. was yet. So I was like, in five years, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to be the best OT that there is and I'm going to do so well on my test. Like, I yeah. I didn't know what I was right. talking about, you know? Um, now, I would say in five years, professionally, I... Well, short term, obviously, I want to pass my exam yeah. on the first yeah. try. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, I want to... As soon as I can, I'm going to look for a job. And my goal is that... I, I've always wanted to live in the city, like my entire life. I it's been my it's dream. True, it was on your twenty twenty one vision board. It was my floor to ceiling window mm-hmm. apartment in mm-hmm. the city. That's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so ho- yeah, hopefully I can find a job in the city so that I can move there. So the commute's not too bad. Um, yeah, that would be the short term. Long term, I don't know it how achievable this is in five years but I have always had a vision of like opening up my own mm-hmm. clinic whether it be a neuro clinic or a sensory clinic I don't know yet but we'll find out but yeah that's always been something that I've re- always really wanted to do I don't know I'm not really sure why but it's just been something that's been in the back of my mind you know in order to meet that goal what 
what are some like action steps you can take along the way? Um, I feel like you need to make connections, right? You need to make connections. And I think I'll be able to do that um, through working, whether I like stick with my first job or go on to the next and like decide I want to do something entirely different, just making connections um, throughout the OT field and maybe not even just OT field, just overall to kind of get me there. Yeah. I'm not really sure what the steps would be to open. Well, definitely make connections start is the start. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, certainly there's like things you have to think about logistically, like funding and, and mm -hmm. all of that stuff and how the structure is going to work and like making sure that you're well right. educated in those kinds of, it depends on, you know, whether it's neuro or SI, or maybe you find another area that like you right. really get yeah, into. Yeah, it could be anything. But yeah, just making well, sure that you like know you whenever you get there, like understanding where your gaps in knowledge are so that you, right. si similar to the plan with the final, like where are my gaps in knowledge yeah. and what do I need to, um, brush yeah. up on. Or, or just learn yeah. in the first well, place, you know? Um, I wrote like a 25 page business plan for my administration mm, and management mm -hmm. class for a made up sensory clinic. So I, I think, Oh I yeah, got you've got, yeah. You're <laughs> 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 Yeah, I've I feel I feel like I've gotten a thorough picture of of where you're at as far as work and education and I have no further questions. Yeah, I I have one final question actually. We obviously we've had a a good understanding of what a pediatric OT would do and like specifically a school-based OT would do. But what is something that you wish people knew about school-based OT or even OT in general? Ugh. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for this question, and I should have been. <laughs> what is something I wish people knew about school-based OT in general? That's a really hard one because there's a lot of burnt-out school-based OTs out there who do not have the energy to think in a big picture occupation kind of way. And so I hesitate to say what's a thing that I wish everyone knew because if I like one thing I wish everyone would knew is that like, you know, that we can work on like anything that impacts basically anything that impacts function in the school in some kind of way whether it's through like consulting with a more specialized area, for example, in like a social participation thing that like we have some knowledge that we could consult with speech on, for example, or right. like from an emotional perspective, OTs can totally help with that. Like we, oh, I just got a little teary, like, but like, you know, that's frequently like school psychologists and working on that kind of thing. But like, there is so much about understanding your own emotions that has to do with like understanding your sensations in your body. And like, right. and then it, the executive functioning skills it requires to use those coping strategies that, that like the counselor might be recommending. So like, part of me wants to say like, OT should, you should, if any problem in school, like ask an OT because they might be able to tell you something that you hadn't thought of before. But there are right. so many overworked and burnt out occupational therapists in the school that are just trying to like help kids use the right grip for handwriting or like 
you know, feeling like overworked and stretched in 500 different directions that sometimes some of those things to those people feel like, oh, why are they recommending OT because he can't sit in his seat? He's just got ADHD and like he needs to be medicated. And sometimes that comes from a place of like not wanting to understand. But I wouldn't say that like, like I was saying we have a multidisciplinary class that we run in my school and Mm -hmm. that like is run by a speech language pathologist, myself and a counselor. And we were talking about something the other day where the kids hadn't gotten their assignments done that we had asked them to do. And none, no one did it. We were like, we put a due date on this. We were very like, we showed you how to do it. We did all the front loading. Nobody did it. And one of the we were like well why do you think that is like we're here to help you how can we help you get your assignment done like you've got three adults here we all have different strategies like what what do you what do you guys think was the reason you didn't get it done and one of the students said because we're lazy and I was like and I I didn't lose it but I was like I made sure to drive home that point that like I have been called lazy my entire life so I hesitate to call people lazy because it's not about Mm -hmm sometimes it's not always about just being lazy like sometimes yeah. it's about just not like you needed to use a memory strategy you memories in this case memory seemed to be like the thing like maybe you just didn't understand enough to like maybe you didn't realize you didn't understand the subject and so we need to go through something having to do with your learning style like whatever it is and so I hesitate to say that like occupational therapists some occupational therapists in the school system are lazy because I don't think that's what it is but I do think that you know we have there are definite funding related barriers to receiving occupational therapy in all the areas where occupational therapy can work whether it's schools whether it's outpatient clinics, whether it's sensory, whether it's mental health, like, you know, and so, so so to then like, you know, so again, I hesitate, but like OT can really like, if you work with an OT and, or if you know an OT and you have a question about something or you're having a problem, like ask that OT. And if they're at a place where they're not burnt out and they're feeling like, confident with where they are and feeling like they have the energy to talk to you about it like people who work in this field have so much knowledge to offer yeah and a lot of different areas and so yeah so that's the takeaway but just with the caveat that if if the ot in question seems a little burnt out (laughs) that perhaps you might not get this glorious amazing answer um gotcha but yeah it's, we just have so much to offer and we have and we have so much to offer in collaboration with specialists this isn't to say that like yeah. occupational therapy has all the answers but like because we know the way we're taught is we know a little bit about a lot of things and in some cases a lot of bit about yeah. some things like it depends on the individual yeah. and where they've specialized and where their experience is but like that little bit of knowledge comes in so handy with like lots of mm-hmm. melds with lots of different flavors yeah, and the interprofessional collaboration. Absolutely. That's what we're, like, taught to yeah. do. So Yeah. And just, yeah. and if you're an OT that's feeling burnt out, like, I guess then the advice might be, like, it's really easy in this field to feel like nobody understands us and nobody values us and whatever. But I think the more that you can find what those things within your 
profession and your career that like motivate you, the more you can bring that to the people around you, then people will understand what occupational therapy is. Like my, you know, working on this team, like everybody on the team, just because, you know, we'll be, were we talking about this before we started recording? But like, we're, we'll be in like a, a class lesson and like, we were talking about this before we started recording, but like, we'll be, we'll be somewhere and the kids will be talking about like food they had for breakfast. And then that's an opportunity for me to be like, oh, let me tell you about the texture of a waffle versus the, oh, who likes, who likes to have like the sticky texture of syrup versus no syrup? And like who, like, and just talking about these things within those natural conversations that'll happen, people will learn about your profession and the things that you're concerned about and the and the and your kind of point of view on things um so so i guess to the ot's out there like don't be afraid to nerd out on your career on your profession nice bring the spicy peppers people can tolerate the (laughs) spicy peppers (laughs) well all right well is that it did we get to all of our questions think so nice um well thank you for this this time val good participation continue per plan of care (laughs) listening to us talk about how no one knows what ot is reminded me of a story from when i was working in orthopedics at a community hospital the marketing department wanted to do a story about a client who was receiving pt and ot to promote our program as his ot i was working with his arm injury and helping him perform daily tasks by improving his range of motion and strength The story came out as though PT was doing all of the orthopedic work and OT was just helping him, quote, get back to work. Even the marketing professional in our own hospital had a weird cognitive dissonance about the definition of OT and thought that the client had it wrong when he told her what I was doing. Also, I did some quick research about exactly how many times you need to hear something to remember it, and according to missionminded.com, some say repeating a message three times will work, while many believe the rule of seven applies. There was a study from Microsoft investigating the optimal number of exposures required for audio messages. They concluded between six and 20 was best. So having to listen through, edit, re-edit, and listen through again for every episode, you can imagine that I've pretty much memorized each episode word for word. In this episode, we also mentioned Kim Hartman. Just to let you know, she's a current professor and former head of the OT department at Quinnipiac University. She was there for both mine and Val's time there. All right, that was the episode. Thanks for listening. Check out our socials at Occupod, that's O-C-C-Y-O-U-P-O-D, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, or our website at www.occupyyourselfpod.com. We upload a new episode every Thursday, so check it out, and don't forget to occupy yourself.